This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I've got speaker, author, life coach, all sorts of stuff, Andrea Owen. How you doing today? I am so happy to be here to talk to you about this topic, which I love so much. Who doesn't awesome. love talking about success? I, I mean, I love it. It's, <laughs> it's a <too>. passion. <laughs> Why not? You're making a living doing it and you're yeah. just absolutely crushing it. You've got a couple books. You've got uh, The 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice name of a book. I like that. Thank you. And then How to Stop Feeling Like Shit. Another nice name of a book. Another nice name of a book. I like those. And it's they're catchy. both doing very, very well right now, which is a... Uh, uh, huge deal as an author and uh, not everybody has the success you have had as an author. So congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate Uh, that. So we'll, we'll dive into those books in a little bit, Andrea, but I just love uh, always hearing people's backstories, you know, kind of what's made you the woman you are today. And I know it's a very open-ended question, but uh, Mm -hmm. I like to start there and see where it goes. Yeah. Well, I think everybody loves a good redemption story. So I'll start with that one. It started because I had heard about life coaching. My my background, I had a couple of different things. I have the resume that a lot of young Gen Xers have, you know, lots of different things that I was doing. But my background at that time was the fitness industry and I had heard about life coaching. This was back in about 2003 and thought it sounded really interesting thought I had the perfect personality for it. Mm. And I said to my then husband, or no, actually we were engaged. I said, I think this career sounds amazing. I think I'd be good at it, but you probably need some life experience to be really great at it. And I don't have a whole lot of life experience. And so lo and behold, a couple of years later, we were married at that point talking about conceiving our first child. He had an affair with our neighbor and got her pregnant and we got divorced. And it was awful because at that point we, he and I had been together for 13 years. He had a large family. I know you mentioned you have a, a four sons. He was the middle child of five boys. So his, his brother's wives and girlfriends, they were my sisters. His parents were like my parents. And that part of it was probably the most devastating. Wow. But I picked myself up and started dating again, which I really should not have been doing, but it was the thing <laughs> that I was doing to try to distract myself. And I met someone whom I thought was really great. And turns out he lied about having cancer during our nine-month relationship to cover up his opioid addiction and had, had basically conned me out of thousands Holy of dollars. Smokes. And I had I was in a terrible place to begin with. I was really vulnerable when we met. It was, it was a perfect storm, really. And so at the end of that relationship, I found myself, I was pregnant with his child and completely out of money. I had left my apartment because he and I were going to move away together to Northern California. I left my job because we were moving and I had to move in with my sister and her husband and two kids. And it was, and I was 31 at the time. And this was right around the time all of my friends were getting married and having kids. So the humiliation was 
awful. And it was that moment where I decided, okay, so, and I'm not making excuses for the men in my life. They had done some pretty crappy things to me. And the common denominator in both of those relationships was me. Also, I had to admit that I had ignored my intuition that told me not to marry my first husband. Actually, my intuition told me to break up with him when I was 19, and I didn't. I waited another eight years and then married him. And my intuition on the first date with that guy who lied about having cancer told me something isn't right here, and I don't know what it is, but I continued this relationship. So it was then that I, you know, I was pregnant and I was going to keep this baby. I was going to be a single mom. And that's when I signed up for life coaching school and the rest, as they say, is history. Sure. Wow. That's a lot right there. We could probably uh, just do a podcast on that, couldn't we? <laughs> it, was, it was bananas, Brett. Like I tell that story sometimes and I'm like, even the details of it. I mean, I was being sent down to Tijuana, Mexico. We lived in San Diego, so you can get any kind of drugs that you want pretty right. much with or without a prescription. And, and TJ, he would send me down there when he was really sick. And I thought he was, I was getting his cancer medication and I was crossing the border back into the United States with illegal drugs. Thank goodness. I look like I do unsuspecting right. <laughs> white lady. Uh, and it just, it blows my mind. The things that I did completely ignoring all of the red flags that were hitting me on the head, really these red flags. And it just, it, it was, I feel like the universe had something great in store for me and I was not listening. Hmm. So the universe had to hit me over the head in order to get me to where I am now. So I look at that now as the biggest blessing that ever happened to me. Right. It was a gigantic wake up call. So you talked about intuition, right? Some people call mm -hmm. it intuition. Some people say, trust your gut. Yep. But that's a lot easier said than done, right? Because you had a relationship with this person. You had the family connection with the, you know, his family, yeah. all sorts of stuff, right? We could go on and on. But how do, we, how, do, how do you tell our listeners, how do we trust our intuition? How do we trust our gut more and make that difficult decision, even though it's going to be painful in the moment? I think that some of that comes with self-confidence and it also comes with just life experience. And I remember there was this one episode, you know, if you're my age, you probably watched Sex and the City in real time in the 90s. And there was this <laughs> one particular episode. And if people who don't know the characters, uh, Carrie and Mr. Big, they had this on again, off again relationship. And there's this one particular scene where they were going to go on this trip and she has all of her suitcases out on the curb and he's picking her up in his car and they're kind of arguing and you could just the tension in the relationship. And he's like, get in the car. And she stops and she says, no, I can't do this. I'm going to choose me. And I forget exactly what her words were, but I remember watching it back then and thinking, how do you get that kind of strength to love someone, to be in this relationship where you love someone, but knowing it's not, it's just not working and yep. you need to walk away. How do you do that? And I sat with that for a long time. And I think that, I think for most people, we have to get sort of smashed against the curb by our bad life choices sure. before we realize that our inner wisdom or our gut is actually looking out for us. Yeah. And I think whether that's your personal relationship or even a business decision, right? For I mean, sure. You know, it's like, hey, I, if I just trusted my gut there, mm -hmm. maybe that thing works out differently, right? We've all got the yeah. signs and just believe in the signs. I made a big decision this year in my business where it, the decision I made went against everything we've been taught in marketing. I let go mm -hmm. of, a, of a particular stream of income that was working. 
and I didn't like it. I didn't like doing it. I I didn't like providing the service and I had to make the decision to let it go and just trust that it was all going to be fine. It took me probably a good year of agonizing over it to finally just pull the plug on it. And so far it's been about six months and everything's fine. I'm actually making more money. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that amazing? So talk to us about that. So you you're making X dollars off that stream of income Mm -hmm. and, uh, I'm assuming in your mind, you said, oh my gosh, I'm going to stop this and I will not make as much money. I will make less money and I'm going to be not as successful. You put all these fears in your mind Mm -hmm. and then how many of those fears actually blew up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? Zero. And one of the fears I had that I was going to disappoint some people that I wasn't providing this particular service anymore, that may very well have happened for people that wanted to, to work with me at this capacity. But I, at the end of the day, knew that it was going to open up more energy for me to be able to do the thing that I was really good at. Have you read the book, The Big Leap? I've not. I need you to read that and all of your listeners. I actually have a copy of it right here. Um, I have it on audiobook and in print, Gay Hendricks. It's a pretty short read, but he talks about a couple of different things. His two main themes in that book are upper limit. And I'm sure you've heard that before, you yep. know, this, this, we only have a capacity for a certain amount of happiness, success, joy, healthy relationship. And when we reach that capacity, we kind of freak out. So his whole thing is like, how do you bust past that? Hmm. He also talks about these different zones that we operate in. One of them is your zone of, uh, your zone of competency. It's like the things that you're good at, that you can make money in your zone of excellence. And, and his theory is that most of us stay there. Like you're really good at this thing. And it might make you money. And that's where I was with that particular stream of income. I had done it many times before. I was good at it. It was making me money. But um, Mr. Hendricks' whole thing is stay in your zone of genius. And that's the thing Mm. that you are really good at. Sometimes people think, how could you possibly only do that? And that's what I really had to think about. What is my zone of genius? What is the thing that the only thing I want to do that feels impossible that this is the only thing I can do that will actually sustain me and bring me success. And for me, that's writing books and speaking up on stages. That's what I had to trust was my zone of genius. Yeah. So did, did you always like speaking on stages or were you a little worried about that at first? I mean, if you told me that as a kid that I was going to do that, I would probably think you were bananas. But as I've gotten older and really worked on self-acceptance and embracing that I am naturally enthusiastic and charismatic, Yes, that's what I am really good at. And of course, it's a skill that I've, I've had to hone. I haven't always sure. been really great at it. But I found out, you know, just a few years ago, hosting retreats and things like that, that, that it, and people giving me feedback and saying, I love the way you tell a story and just watching people's faces as I, as I spoke. And also, and, and writing books, you know, especially with the success of my second book and, and my literary agent. And, and I'll tell you this too, Brett, because I think a lot of people will relate. Even after my, sec- my first book did well, I thought to myself, it was probably a fluke. Like you had yeah, a catchy title. Right. That's why my agent said, okay, when I queried her, that's why the publisher said, okay, can I do it again? 
And lo and behold, I did it again. So now I'm about to do it a third time and I still have to work on and battle the negative thoughts that say like, well, maybe the second one had a really great title too. Right. (laughs) Now I got to find a third title. Do you know what the third title is yet? I do. And I'm not telling people because I'm really precious about it. And also I I haven't signed a contract. So yeah. It's like we didn't tell the names of our kids, right? Because we just- A lot of people do that. I think that's a great idea. We didn't want somebody, oh, I don't like that. I had a person in high school I didn't like that was that name. Didn't ask for your feedback, yeah. (laughs) Don't care. Don't care. So um, how to stop feeling like shit. Yeah. How do we do that? Well, the, the title came from, from this. So I found myself talking to my clients and I, and I work only with women, but I've yeah. had a lot of men <laughs> message me <laughs> on Instagram and say, I read your book, didn't know that it was just for women, but finished it anyway. And I loved <laughs> it. There are so many things in there that, but I just heads up a lot of the right. anecdotes and examples I give are, are in women's lives. So I found myself telling them the same thing over and over again. So there's this list of behaviors that we all do because we think that they're going to protect us and they've worked for a while. So it's things like isolating and hiding out, like when stuff gets really hard and you don't tell yep. people about your problems, numbing our feelings out. It is uh, perfectionism. For some people, it's people pleasing, saying yes to things they don't want to do. It is also imposter complex. A lot of my audience struggles with that. Blame is a big one. Mm. It's a way for us to not take responsibility. And again, we do these things because we think they're protecting us and they work for a little while until they don't. And when they don't work for us anymore, they start to feel like shit. And that's how the, the, the title of the book was right. born. And so what I teach in this book is that a number one, you're totally normal. If you do all these things, this isn't a book where I'm handing it to you and saying, Hey, Brett, you're doing all these things wrong. You need to fix it. It's really a book about like, Hey, we're all doing these things. Just know when you're doing it and know that it goes probably goes against your values and like the person you really want to be. And here are ways to change it and be proud of the person that you are. Yeah, because in reality, we all have that, whether you're man or woman, right? We all have those those things, right, that we do that yeah. it is completely normal. Yeah, overachieving, um, catastrophizing, like it is totally normal. It's part of the human experience. And fine, go ahead and do it. But like what I want people to know is where do you cross the line over into where it doesn't feel good anymore and it goes against the person that you're trying to be? So let's talk about some of those ways. So how are you helping that female client of yours? They they deal with the uh, kind of self-sabotaging, right? And mm-hmm. so the way I would look at that is always something's wrong, something's going on. I'm not good enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. Yeah. How do you help me with that if I'm, if I'm struggling with that? Self-sabotage more specifically looks like when you know the thing, like let's say I have a goal of, I want to get 10 new speaking goals for you know Q1 in 2020. Yep. And I know what I need to do to get them. I need to pitch all these people. I need to make some videos. I need to do X, Y, and Z. And yet day after day, I'm just scrolling through Instagram and not doing the thing that I want to do. What's going on there? That's right. self-sabotage. A lot of people do it with workouts food and things like that. There's a few things happening. I think that it can go, we can go down a few layers and look at deserving. Like, do you have issues where you don't feel good enough and you're afraid of success? Like what happens if this actually works out and I do get all those speaking gigs, you know, that's upper limit stuff. We also can, it can get into Um, sometimes people are getting some kind of secondary gain from that. Like, what are you actually getting out of scrolling through Instagram? (laughs) It's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy a lot of times because they're telling themselves that they're not going to get those 10 
speaking gigs. So they're really trying to find evidence that it won't work out. And sometimes it just becomes a damn bad habit where (laughs) the things that we're doing to sabotage ourselves have become habitual. And it's a matter of, you know, hire a life coach to get accountability. Find someone in your life who's going to text you every morning and say, hey, did you pitch those 10 things? So that's just like a really quick overview on how to help yourself with self Well, I think that, that accountability is huge, right? We're it working is. on it right now with one of our advisors and every single morning, Monday through Friday, he's texting me when he gets up. We're doing this no snooze button kind of challenge, yes. you know, exercise, meditate, read the books. But I, I got to tell you, I think for he and I, if we knew the other one wasn't going to be texting, it's probably not happening. Exactly. So much of what we want to do comes back to who's watching and who actually cares. Right. And it's, I love that, that you do that. I have some clients where I just texted them. We're recording this on a Monday and I texted a bunch of them and I, and I always text them the same thing. Good morning. Happy Monday. What's on your agenda for this week? And if they don't text me back by the end of the day, guess who's calling them? Yeah. <laughs> Something's wrong and they're hiding out, right? They're hiding out. A lot of times it's just stuff happens, but they it's- know that I am going to follow up. Yeah. Well, and that is so huge too. We have another advisor that uh, every week he picks a different person in the firm to do a fitness challenge against. Oh my God. And it's so seven days it's of texting. And, and so it's, yeah, so you don't know. He's like, hey, we're going to do this. And here's my challenge. You got to do 150 push-ups and 50 setups a day. You in or you out? In right? a row? Yeah. Well, you got to do 150 in one day and then like 50 push or setups in, in the day. So however oh you want to do it, do it. Mm-hmm. That's his challenge, right? And then you either accept it or you don't. And what are you going to not accept it? I mean, you got to at least try. At least try. A a good old fashioned, like fear of public humiliation. Well, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Building fear in somebody for them to be successful. So talk to us, uh, Andrea, about your habits, your rituals. So while we're talking about that, what are the things the no miss Mm -hmm. items that Andrea Owens got to do every day? Well, I mean, it's probably the same things that you hear from a lot of your guests. It's, it's exercise. and, And I think, to make it not boring. One of the interesting things I'll tell you about that is that I took a two year break from working out from 2016 to 2018. I completely quit. It started with just being burned out. I was a runner for a long time and I was hundred percent burned out. I was doing this 10 K and I was coming to the finish line and my son said, there's mom to my husband. And my husband said, that's not her. And he didn't recognize me. And he said, you looked so miserable. I did not recognize you. Wow. And I told him and I said, I'm tired. And part of it was that I had undertrained and this particular route had a lot of hills on it, which I wasn't expecting. But a lot of it was just like I was doing it because I felt like I had to. And so then my dad died and the wheels kind of fell off. And I I honestly I gave myself permission to just take some time off. I didn't beat myself up over it. And what I had realized, and maybe, maybe some of your your female listeners can relate is that I was, let's see, how old was I in 2016? I was 41. And I had to admit to myself that I, I, now, I grew up in a family that embraced exercise. Exercise was sure. never punishment. My parents played tennis. My mom was a runner. Exercise was fun. And I also realized that I had never worked out for the sake of being healthy. It was always mm. about maintaining or changing the size and shape of my body. And I would tell you like, oh, it's just so noble of me. Like I'm doing it for health, but that was a complete BS lie. It was about maintaining a certain size and I just was tired of it. And so I told Mm. myself, I will not come back to exercise until I 
tame this dragon and get underneath it and do a deep dive into my own stuff, into the culture that has made me realize or made me believe that it's a sin to be anything other than a size six. And so I did a lot of work on that and then came back to exercise with a completely new outlook. And I'll be honest, like I still have moments where I'm like, oh, these pants don't fit anymore or these pants do fit that haven't fit in a long time. Like I still have moments where I need to check myself. But for the most part, it's a completely different experience now than it was back then. I'm 44 now. Things are changing. Muscle loss is a thing. Right. (laughs) But I bought a Peloton. Yeah, I quit running. I run every once in a while. I started playing tennis again, which I love and play like three times a week now. And it's fun. And I I do it because I love watching myself be stronger and kick ass on the tennis court. How awesome is that Peloton? Oh my gosh. I'm an evangelist. I've got one right over here in my office. You have the tread or the bike? I have the bike. I I keep it in my office. So then I I have no excuse other than to at least do something every day. Every Uh, day. I love it. And I also think Peloton is genius marketing and what they're doing with the company is is absolutely brilliant. And their app is phenomenal. I had Rebecca Kennedy on the show maybe a month ago. She's okay. Yeah, she's awesome. So she was a really good guest. And uh, yeah, they're a game changer, I think. For For sure. And I had that same thing. Like I I, I feel I have been, I think, blessed with good genes. I've stayed skinny Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. You know, I could eat a hamburger and fries and it doesn't really affect me. And some people, they, you know, I have a buddy, he's like, I look at that and I gain weight, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so part of that is being blessed with that. But I do find as you get over 40, right, you start to, things change. change. And, mm-hmm. and I thought to myself, you know what, I got to start this in my 40s now instead of waiting till I'm in my 60s or 70s before I start right. doing it, right? Yeah. It's got to be that every single day effect. And I think to your point, the mindset was about longevity, not about what exactly. I look or feel like. The long game. And I love that you said that because I think when we get into our 40s, we're probably watching our parents age. Yeah. My mom's in her seventies. My stepdad is 80 and I'm watching them. You start to think about your own mortality and right. see your own body start to not work the same as it did before when we were yeah. in our twenties and even in our thirties. And yes, I want to be the 70 year old lady who can still play with my grandkids and go on walks and, and things like that. So it yeah. starts now. Yeah. It's funny. I was uh, just on this golf trip. I think I told you about and we were uh, maybe having an adult beverage or two and mm-hmm. uh, I was talking to this guy and I, I said, how old are you? He said, I'm 66. And the guy was just ripped and he, you know, he had his hat on backwards. He had a t-shirt and he was talking about his grown kids. They were hockey players. And I said, man, you got to be in great shape. He's like, Oh, I'm in phenomenal. You know, he's, his energy was so high, but he talked about what he's been doing for the last 15, 20 years to take mm-hmm. care of himself. And it was cool to fast forward to see that at 66. What's that done for him? his energy was off the charts and he's surfing down in Florida every day and doing Pilates and yoga and different things. It was phenomenal. That's amazing. And I know my husband and I have conversations about what we're going to do when we retire and we're planning it out now. And I mean, that's going to take some energy. The things that we want to do right. when we retire. Right. I can't be injured. Now, right? right. I mean, I want to live it up. So right. yeah, you're going to need it. So let's go back to some of those moments early on in your life that they probably dropped you to a knee, right? I mean, you oh, hit God, rock two bottom. Knees. Mm-hmm. And so talk to us about that. How did you battle through that and, and pull yourself up off the knees and, and, yeah. and get through it? Because, you know, we kind of just glossed over it like, oh, it just, it happens and you moved on. Like, it was well, amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. I just, I'm so good at what I do. I just, I just got right through it. it took so, like three months. <laughs> yeah. How did you do that? 
Oh my God. It was bad for a while, Brett. And, and also, like I said, my friends at the time didn't know what to say or how to be right. good friends. So they sort of tiptoed out the back door a little bit. They did the best they could. And I, there was a few things that I did. I think that, that helped me through it is back then I was, I was just filling up my, I mean, this was when I was in the depths of despair. Yeah, yeah, One yeah. thing is, was my spirituality. I've been through so, somewhat of a spiritual transition between now and then, but there was a couple of moments where I dropped to my knees and I said, I don't know what you have in store for me, but I know it's not this. Right. So I am open and surrendering to whatever is coming and I'm listening. And I actually have the word surrender tattooed on my arm now. I got it when my dad mm. passed away, but that's what I needed to do because I had tried to control my life and other people so much. I was severely codependent. So that was part of it is going for me. What was really helpful was going to 12 step meetings for my codependence. And for those of you that are listening that don't know what that is, Google it. A lot of us are somewhere on the spectrum. I don't care what gender you identify yeah. with. It's a human condition. And healing from that has been a phenomenal sense of freedom. And also surrounding myself with people who were willing to walk with me through this and forgiving the people who weren't. Hmm. I had a friend at the time who her mom was battling cancer. And there was a point where she told me, she said, I can't be the kind of friend to you that you need right now. And basically broke up with me. I was devastated at the time. Wow. But looking back, understood that I was extremely needy. I had a lot of drama going on and, and we, we, she and I came full circle. So that was a huge part of it. Also, journaling my feelings and diving headfirst into what I could take responsibility for. So like I said, the, the men I had chosen to be in relationships were not well and had their own stuff. I had also participated. I was no saint is what I'm trying to say. I had really bad habits and behaviors. I had no idea how to communicate well and um, was a huge blamer and just the arguments were, I look back on them. I'm, I, I'll like watch a movie and, and watch a scene where there's a, a couple who's fighting and be embarrassed that that's how I used to act. And, uh, so it was a lot of therapy and in, in going through that and just really taking it. I know it's going to sound super cliche, but taking it one day at a time, I took a Sharpie and, and blocked off the days as they went. So I had a visual of time passing by because it was agony to think, you know, when I was, I really, really wanted to be a mom and I, to think about that, that might not happen for me. And it was yeah. just, it was a horrible time and it truly was my rock bottom. And also just having some patience with myself. Yeah. So your codependency, is that, how yeah. long has that been now? I've been better. I don't know if we ever fully recover from codependency, uh, but I've been better since 2000. When did I go to therapy for that? So that was 2006. And do you want to go there? What, I, I guess I don't understand when you say codependency, what, what, you, what you mean. Codependence, we like to control other people and we're also big martyrs too. So I'll give you like a quick um, glimpse into it. So my ex-husband was, the way that he would behave was just not that great. And I would try to control everything about him. So I was constantly checking up on him. I was also a little bit of his mama. So I would like... make, And then also get angry 
when he didn't do it the way that I wanted him to. Codependents, we're really good at being resentful. And we're really good at wanting people to be mind readers of ourselves. A lot of it has to do with control. We tend to also be attracted to people who treat us poorly. We also really love a good addict. Like, (laughs) Give us an addict or alcoholic and, oh, we just fall in love madly and passionately. (laughs) And um, one of the best, like the Bible of codependency is Codependent No More by Melody Beattie. She wrote it, I think, back in the 80s and there's workbooks. And so, yeah. And I was also a love addict as well. We basically choose... Um, relationships as our drug of choice. And then also to fast forward, I got sober in 2011 and I didn't really have a rock bottom with my drinking. It just was one of those things where I'm like, I know where this is headed. And my dad had also gotten sober when I was 18. So I knew what a high functioning alcoholic looked like and it was me. So I quit while I was ahead. Good for you. I'm applauding you right now. Thank you. Eight years. Eight years. Is that still tough? No, I have moments where I think about it and that is a huge red flag for me that I listen to now. Like when my dad died, uh, there was a moment where I collapsed on the kitchen floor after I'd come back from his funeral when nobody was home and I was like unloading the dishwasher, just a wave of grief that tried to swallow me whole. And I had that thought and I said to myself, what I would give for a bottle of wine right now. Mm. Not just a glass. Like I'm right, the whole like, <laughs> I'm I love the saying if one is good, five is better. So <laughs> I knew I had to call somebody right away. And I did. Because right. I might have gone. Like, you know, just nobody right. would know and things like that. But every once in a while, like in the summertime, for a long time, I couldn't fathom being on a boat without beer or yeah. camping without beer. It just didn't make sense to me. Yep. So it's moments like that where you have to figure it out and just yeah. call people who understand and Turns out you can be on a boat without beer and have a really great it's legal. time. It's legal to do <laughs> it that. It is. Mad fun. Who knew? Yeah, it's amazing. Um, you, you've said a couple times the relationships I have chosen to be in. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I love the word choice. I think it's phenomenal. I think it's a very powerful word because we have the choice to do anything we want, right? Mm-hmm. And when you say that, why does that, what's that mean to you when you say Why did choice? I choose that word? Yeah. I think that, well, I also take a lot away from, there's an author, um, Harv Hendricks, and he wrote a book called Getting the Love You Want. And he has this theory that we, we choose the people that we're in intimate relationships with because of our childhood. And a big surprise, we right. create something that he calls the imago, which is characteristics of our primary caregivers. And he says that we do this because we're trying to heal our childhood wounds. And for me, you know, my dad was an amazing father and he was also emotionally disconnected. So I chose men who were emotionally disconnected, which really wasn't that hard to find. And there are some other reasons too, but I, I think that for me being codependent, I would meet someone, we'd get into a relationship. If he was nice and normal, I didn't want anything to do with him. And I would chew them up and spit them out. And then the men in my life who were dysfunctional and had a lot of issues to work through, I wanted to save them. I wanted to fix them. I wanted Mm. to be the hero in their life. uh, And I wanted to be in control. And that is a recipe for disaster. So I think I was choosing them. No, I know I was choosing them unconsciously in order to try to make myself feel better and heal my own BS. And realizing that 
didn't necessarily make me choose better people. I mean, my, my husband now is worlds different than the men I've chose before. He's not without fault. The difference is that he and I can have conversations about it that are open and honest, sometimes painful yep. as relationships are, but also we walk through it together rather than me trying to change who he is to benefit me. Yeah. So how do you define success today in the world? For you, for you personally. Wow, that's a loaded question. Um, I, I define success as being able to go after anything that I want to. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to kick ass and take names over there. Yep. But it's really, you know, where I am right now as we record this in 2019 is beyond what I ever even set out to do when I launched for Kick-Ass Life back in 2010. So looking at the next 10, 20 years for me is I think the definition of beyond my wildest dreams because I don't even know what's over there. Yeah. And I think that now I define success. I used to define success as, you know, making six figures and then I did that and I was like, well, that wasn't that hard. <laughs> and, right. and then, so now my success has shifted into believing in the impossible and I joke with the women that I play tennis with because when I was 14, I wanted to be a professional tennis player. And I'm like, hey, the dream is not dead. <laughs> right. We'll make it happen. <laughs> Crazier things could happen. We'll and it's, and, and yeah, that's, I am joking when I say that. I honestly just don't want to put in the work for it. I right. do play for fun. But that being said is that anything is possible. Do I have privileges and resources that a lot of people don't have? Yes, I do. I was lucky enough that my husband's salary in the beginning of my business helped us through when I wasn't making any money. Yep. And at the same time, I remember when I first started out, I had two babies and I didn't want to hear from any teacher or mentor that wasn't in the same shoes that I was in. Yep. And now I know that the crazy things can happen if you try really hard. And sometimes you try really hard and it doesn't work out. And the success is, is just trying. Again, I know super cliche, but that's how I've built confidence. Like people ask me all the time, how do you build confidence? Do the thing you're afraid to do. You might fall on your damn face for it and you're going to be more confident having done it and been resilient. Yeah. I always talk about your comfort zone, right? I always draw a circle and it's like, here you are in the middle. You mm -hmm. try to get out but you can't, you go right back to the middle where it's comfortable and warm and fuzzy and all that stuff. But if you just break through that comfort zone, you don't build the, the, the callus right on your hand, yeah. if you will. And I think that's so, but it's hard to do, isn't it? Yeah, totally. And that's, I'm going to actually spin the question on you because I'm curious. Do you find that since you've done a lot of work on yourself, that it's easier to step out of your comfort zone or do you find it's still scary, but you just do it anyway? Uh, a great question. I think I like now we're on your podcast. I like right. Um, and so, no, I would say, I would say answer it two ways. One is you, at first you just have to do it. Right. So right. a little background, I've, I've shared this publicly on stage before too, is that I used to get sick before big games or mm -hmm. like literally I would throw up. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then to think about going in public speaking, I would throw up. Right. And then I would just go in front of you know hundreds of people and go do it. Now I don't do that but I still get the same fears, but I know through my, uh, I guess through the wisdom, if you will, that it, yeah. it, everything's going to be okay. And I just have to do it anyway. Right. Does that make sense? Totally. And that's the way I feel. I'm always curious about what people's thoughts are on that yeah. because I think people who listen to people like you and I, who've been doing this for a long time and, and have a lot of tenure in the business, whatever business that is, is that it becomes easier and that our fear goes away. And, yeah, and I'm looking no. around and I'm like, 
I don't know if it's just me, but no, I'm still scared. And am I as scared when I get up on stage and talk in front of thousands of people? No, because I've been doing it a lot. But when I came back to tennis and played my first match that was just here in my league in Greensboro, North Carolina, I was considering calling them on the way there and telling them that I was sick. I was considering like hiding behind the trees to check out the tennis clinics beforehand so I can like see who's better than me. Like I still have all of these fears and I still have that conversation in my head. Like maybe I should tell them I'm sick. Maybe I should go home. Why did I sign up for this? It's so dumb. I'm going to go anyway. You know, this sort of little mini argument and you just go anyway. And I think that, I think, I do think that some people, maybe are born with a little more grit. I know there's been studies on fixed versus growth mindset and positive psychology has done a lot of research on this and it's super interesting. And I also think that it can be learned. I think that if you have the right support, like we were talking about at the beginning of the show, like having an accountability partner, writing down your goals, all these things that are not new, (laughs) written about for a hundred years, you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I just spoke at a graduation, uh, um, like a leadership graduation thing of uh, maybe a month ago. And I remember like, I'm literally driving there and it's a two minute drive. And I'm like, why did, why did I agree to this? Like I could have said no, right. you know what I mean? Just like, Oh, I guess not. But I do, I think getting out of your comfort zone is practice. I think you got to do it and, and just, you will learn over time that question I asked you earlier, your fears that you put in your mind, none of them ever come true. So the more we Sometimes, do well, it, I'm going to argue with you on that. Sometimes shit goes bad. <laughs> well, that's true. But <laughs> I, then the, the next step to that would be your, your, resilience. Out, your resilience and your outcome mm-hmm. to it wasn't as bad as what you thought. So the bad exactly. thing can still happen, right? People get cancer, people die. Sure. But you know, your outcome to that usually mm-hmm. is, is different than what you thought it would be. Yeah, it's typically never as bad to your point as we right. the story, the fear stories that we make up because our brains are trying to protect us. This is a biological response. I have had the feeling sometimes like if I step out of my comfort zone, I might die. That's mm-hmm. the way it, that's what it can feel in your yep. body. And so what I always tell people is I'm, I'm not going to give you this Pollyanna answer that it's going to work out. It's going to be great. Sometimes it doesn't go well and you can choke up on stage. You can play terribly in your sport. And that's about your resilience. Are you going to get back up or are you going to just, you know, be so upset about it? And I'm all for, you know, taking a break. I I took a two year break. (laughs) (laughs) I'm out. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. Uh, Let's say I take your phone away from you today. Are you going to be, are you going to be codependent on your phone today? Am I going to be codependent? As long as I can still get in touch with my kids, I'll be fine. fine. I've had to delete apps before because I found myself just drowning in. And then I'm looking through my Facebook feed. I'm like, I don't even know half these people. So yeah. So when that was going to be my next question, what app uh, would you not want me to delete besides email? Because we got to have that. Yeah. So what would you, what would you say? Oh my gosh, please don't delete this app. Um, Probably, I love Instagram. I really. That's funny. Do. Everybody says that almost. Like Instagram, yeah. I love Instagram too. I have to follow you on Instagram. Yeah. I love Instagram. I love Instagram stories. I follow. I've I've carefully curated my feed so that I follow people I want to learn from, and I yeah. don't follow people that make me feel bad about myself. And that's maybe why I love it so much. Right. Well, you can block out the nonsense, right? If you don't want to have it, you just click a button, yeah. and we're done. We're done I, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, talk about maybe three. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick a number random. I don't know why I said. Okay. That. Of the 52 ways to have a kick-ass life, <sighs> give me three that you say these are the ones. 
Hold on, Brett. I need to grab the book. It's been a minute <laughs> since I've wrote it. But you got it really handy right there, which is nice. Okay. Thank God for editing, right? That's right. Um, okay. I, here, here's one. A C plus day can change your life. I was at one of my coaching training weekends and I was distracted because I was getting married the next weekend. Mm -hmm. And I told the instructor, I feel like I'm missing everything and, and just was all stressed out about it. And she said, I think she kind of knew that I was an overachiever. And she said, what if you just gave yourself permission to have a C plus weekend, mm. which sound, sounded like blasphemy, you know, as an overachiever and perfectionist. So I think sometimes just, it's really about, sometimes it's about doing the bare minimum <laughs> just <laughs> to make at it the happen. end of your rope. <laughs> That can absolutely change your life. And I, I'm going to interrupt you there. I, 100%, I almost said this earlier and we were talking about something, but I 100% agree with that because until probably in not Kenya six to nine months ago, man, I was my own worst enemy if I was having a bad day. Like, you know, like, oh, I'm going to be a failure. Things are going to go bad. And it's like, man, like, at what point do you learn? It's okay to have a bad day. Like, yeah. it's okay to have a bad day and move on and you'll go to sleep and tomorrow... God willing, you wake up and it's a new day. I don't trust people that don't ever have bad days. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm like, you're like not that. human. <laughs> Come <laughs> on. Not normal, buddy. Show us a little bit of your human side. Yeah. I think that another one, I'll talk about relationships. Bad relationships are great life lessons. As I've, Because I've heard a lot of people say after a breakup or a divorce, they'll say, I can't believe I wasted five years of my life or, yeah. you know, I knew that it was a bad relationship. And what if you could change the perspective on, on that and look at like, what did you learn from that? I learned so many things from my former relationship. So many yeah. ways I refuse to be treated. So many ways I will not treat another partner in my life. So many things that allowed me to take responsibility for my own behavior and my own yeah. life. So it's just a perspective shift. No, you haven't wasted any time you have learned about who you are and your life. That's all. I think you have a third one still yet, but I'm going to ask you this quick. When you hear me say, wherever you go, you go with you. Mm -hmm. What comes to mind when you hear me say that? That sounds like um, wherever you go, there you are. That means that you just, to me, that just means you can't geographically run away from your problems. You can't jump into it. I mean, we've all heard that saying like same shit, different guy, or right. different girl. <laughs> Because you carry all of your stuff with yeah. you. You do. And you, tr trust me, I try to run away from it. Yeah. And dang it, it just follows you. <laughs> it goes everywhere with me. It just won't stop. And what's that third and final one? Uh, let's see. I think never, ever, ever apologize for who you are. It took me a long time to, to realize that. You know, I was mm. probably in my mid-30s before I finally decided, you know what? It's okay that I'm loud and my laugh is really loud and that I am, that I exhaust some people with all of my energy. And I mean, my sister is like 10 times as big as me again, and I have a lot of energy. I'm just enthusiastic. And yeah. what if I stopped apologizing for that and fully embraced who I am? And that was a hundred percent game changer. That's awesome. Good for you. Thank you. Big deal. So where do our listeners find more of Andrea Owen? Where, where, where are I'm, we at? I'm pretty much your kick-ass life everywhere. The podcast is a great way to, to right. get more Andrea in your life. And you can find me on Instagram. I like it. <laughs> uh, so what, tell me about your podcast, your kick-ass life. What, uh, what, what yeah. are we getting on? 
306 episodes now. Good and for you. I do Not a few different things. Every week or every, every week? Every I week. I do a few yeah. different things. I coach people on the podcast. I also, wow. I have a series that's called Conversations About Shit That Matters with Unqualified People. And it's basically, I bring my friends on. And I'll be honest, a lot of them are life coaches, but we're not, we're not experts on whatever it is that we're talking about. We're talking through something. I had a friend over uh, or on and she's 46 or 47. We talked about aging in America yeah. <laughs> for women. I've talked about uh, having anxiety and things like that. So I have those. And then I also, I interview experts and also have solo episodes. That's awesome. Well, good for you. We will send people your way through our show notes. Anery, it's been awesome having you on the Circuit of Success. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Tune in next week for another episode of the Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 